My name is Marco Abar. I'm your brother in Christ, and I have the privilege to um, be able to share the Word of God with you today, and I thank uh, Pastor Finn for this opportunity, for the blessing of being able to share such a wonderful and wonderful experience in God. Um, first experience I received when I came here was <clears throat> the leaders who approached me did not ask me, how can you serve us? But they said, how can we serve you? And it's amazing that when somebody comes to a new church, they come wanting to get closer to God, but also they want to be feeling of an experience that they are accepted. And I felt acceptance as soon as I walked through those doors. The greeting, the love, the smiles, everything, the whole experience was so awesome. And I just want to thank the leaders of this church for the way they accepted me and my family. Uh, praise God. I, everywhere I go and everything I do, I like to, of course, introduce my beautiful wife because, well, she's beautiful. That, that's, a, that's first and foremost, right? Secondly, because I would get in trouble. Am I right? And um, so I, like just, I just like to ask my wife to, to greet everyone, wave at everyone, and, and so they can see you because it's important for me that they see you. You know, it's important for everyone to know who my wife is because, you know, in my culture, uh, Hispanic, I, I like to refer to her as uh, something that is known as muy caliente. And, and so and that's important for me, and I, I, I'm grateful that my daughter Catherine, beautiful daughter Catherine, is with us here this morning. She can greet the church, just wave at everyone, Catherine. She's shy. My son and daughter-in-law back there in the children's room with the, the grandkids. Praise God. And so I'm grateful that the Pastor Finn has allowed me to share this word. Amen? And uh, we are now in the culmination of the sermon series of the Philippians. First and foremost, let me give you a warning. Let me um, ease your concern. If you hear me coughing, it's because I have an itch in my throat. Okay? Don't be concerned. Don't get anxious. It's just an itch. And that's why I have the water right here. And I have some cough drops too. But don't worry. Uh, let us read Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 9. And this is the culmination of a sermon series, praise God, that Pastor Finn has uh, began. <clears throat> and the Word of God reads, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintiq to be of the same mind in the Lord. Somebody say, same mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Say the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Say the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. I will repeat that. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent of praiseworthy, think about such things. Somebody say, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. I repeat, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Lord, I present myself before you. And I ask that you use me as a vessel of honor to bring forth the word in due time, in due season, Lord. That your children, O oh God, may leave edified, Lord, and willing to practice, Lord, what we have just heard and what we preach. Lord, to relieve all our stress and anxiety and cause of, Lord, stress in our lives in your hands. To keep our eyes focused on you and our minds, Lord, set on you and what is to come. Because we trust you and we believe in you, Lord. That we would go and announce and declare not only what you have done, but Lord, live it, Father. I pray this and I thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. First and foremost, I'd like to be very cautious and ask, please listen to what I'm going to say right now. <clears throat> please pay close attention because I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, Pastor Finn gave me the liberty to come up here and share the word of God with you. So please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. All right? We know that there is a health condition. It's called anxiety disorder. That's not what we'll be discussing today. Okay? And I want to clarify this because I want to be invited back again. I don't want to get kicked out. <laughs> Amen? So when we speak about anxiety today, I want to discuss anxiety disorder not as a mental health issue or a condition. Praise God. But it is true and it is real. You know that there are some believers, some Christians, who sincerely believe that if you have anxiety disorder, then you lack trust and faith in God. There's some believers who disparage the use of medication for anxiety disorders or other mental health problems. And that is not so. Because, you know, we wouldn't do the same thing for somebody who has diabetes and takes insulin. We wouldn't say they just lack trust and faith in God, would we? We would not. So we need to be careful to understand that if somebody has an anxiety disorder and they are taking medication, we would not declare them to have lack of trust or faith in God. That is not so. Amen? But we ought to pray for them and pray for people in these conditions. But that's not what we're speaking about today. Be anxious about nothing, as we have read. Be anxious for nothing. This doesn't mean that uh, you, you, you are not anxious about anything at all. Be concerned, right? But what it's declaring here is don't be anxious about things of the present life. Now, the Greek term is merimate. And that does not mean that we are not to be concerned about the, the worldly matters or things of the world or that we are not to be concerned about providing uh, or preserving our properties or providing for our families. No, but it means that we should be such, have such confidence in God. That we free our minds from anxiety and depend on Him. It means that we should trust and depend on God in such a way 
that our minds can stay calm. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, the Bible tells us, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to repeat that last part. Each day has trouble of its own. Church, let us be content with little or with much. Let us be content with what God has given us. But when we do come to having troubles and problems and circumstances in our lives that cause us to worry, ah, the Lord is telling us, lay it at his feet. God is telling us to put our problems at his feet and leave it there. Don't pick it up again, but leave it at his feet. Because there are circumstances and situations that we cannot control. There are problems that we cannot deal with on our own. And those are the times when we have to say, Lord, I leave it in your hands. And those are the times when we have to set our minds and our focus and our eyes on the fact that God is coming soon. We have to set our eyes on the fact that God in heaven has given us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be saved. And Jesus came to the rescue. So we fix our, our minds on Jesus and the fact that the Lord is near, that he is coming soon, and that we await his coming. Praise the Lord. So yes, we do have problems. We do have trouble. We do have circumstances in our lives that we think that this is it. I won't make it till tomorrow. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have. I've experienced situations where I think, that's it. Hasta aquí llegué. There's no tomorrow. But guess what? The Bible speaks about Paul, the same person who wrote the letter of Philippians, and speaks about his problems and his circumstances, his situations, his troubles. Now, Paul didn't have it easy. But I use Paul's example because, look, Paul was shipwrecked three times. One full day in open sea. If you want to know about problems, Paul had problems. That's all you may ask? No, that's not all. Try getting stoned. Beaten with rods. Try getting beaten with fists, with words. Try getting whipped more than once. Try getting chased, scandalized, slandered, and being the cause of riots and death threats. Yes, that was Paul. And in one Harrowing near-death experience, he was snake-bitten. But his focus, his energy, and his resilience, they were never shaken. Why? Because Paul was somebody who practiced what he preached. Paul was someone who believed in Jesus Christ and not the circumstances. He was someone who declared that the circumstances did not dictate who he was, but God already had promised that he was a child of God. And knowing that he was a child of God, he knew that his promises were true in Jesus. So yes, Paul had all these problems. But 
unlike many others, Paul thrived. He thrived on the circumstances, on the situations. He thrived when things were going wrong. He thrived when there was tears in his eyes. He thrived when he felt pain in his body. And it was never more clear than that night in the jail of Philippi. It was never more clear. And the Philippians must have remembered, wait a second, Paul and Silas were in jail that night. And they suffered much that night. But what did they do? It was never more clear than that night when their backs were bloodied, their bodies were bruised, their ankles were shackled, they were chained up. And what did they do? The Bible declares they prayed and they sang. They prayed and they sang. Why? Then, there, in jail, and at that time, during those sufferings, yes, you know, history tells us that an earthquake freed them that night. But their song tells us that those chains were broken long before because they had an experience, a relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew who he was, and they knew that he had not forsaken them. You know, Philippians chapter 4 tells us how they did it and how it can still be done today. Praise God. So, because the Lord is near, we need to keep our minds focused on the God of peace and not our problems. How? How can we not become overwhelmed with our trouble that we face? How can we not be overwhelmed by our problems? Well, when we consider and we think about our citizenship in heaven, then we won't get overwhelmed. So stand firm in your citizenship and don't get overwhelmed. You know, the first verse we have read in Philippians chapter 4, Paul starts with the word therefore. He says, therefore, Stand firm, right? He declares the word stand firm. What he's saying is, therefore, he's a continuation of what he declared in chapter 3. And what he told the Philippians in chapter 3 was, hey, God has made a promise to you. And the promise is of resurrection. The promise that God had made to them was the promise of resurrection. And so Paul is just reminding them, remember that God has said that no matter what you go through in this world, Okay, remember what he went through. And, he, and the Bible has declared that we will suffer, right, for the cause of the gospel. But Jesus suffered. But where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has the victory over death. Jesus has the victory over sin. He has the victory over this world. And now he's interceding on our behalf. And so Paul says, remember. Remember that he has made you a promise. That as he has resurrected, so will we resurrect. So as he lives, we will live. Sometimes we think that this is death. This is a matter of death, but no, God says we shall live. So remember the promise, the promise that he made to them. And because of that promise, that's why we should stand firm, stand fast, stand firm in the Lord. Why did the Philippians need to stand firm? Well, there was problems going on in Philippi. And the Philippians needed to stand firm because, well, they loved Paul. 
And Paul, when he writes the letter, was under house arrest, courtesy of the Roman Empire. And the Philippians, they supported his ministry. And they loved him so much that they were very concerned about his well-being. And that's what we see in Philippians 1. There was a discord inside the church where people had lost focus of the example of Jesus Christ and they had to be reminded to follow the example of Christ. And then in chapter 3 we see that some false teachers were upsetting the confidence that they had in the teachings of Jesus Christ and in Paul's teaching as well. And because of these false teachers declaring that now there was some need of an observance of the Lord to be saved, Paul needs to tell them about what they had learned and what they had known. And now the final exhortation comes in Philippians chapter 4 when we see that it gets to a point where Paul has to actually name two women by name because they just couldn't get along. Can't we all just get along? He has to name them by name. So it had gotten to that point. You know, in Apostle Paul's time, Roman citizenship has such great value. It was very important. And in Philippians 1, Paul asked them to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. He tells them, live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. What is he saying? Conduct yourselves. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Your behavior, your conduct. See, because sometimes we say we're something and we prove it that we're something else by what we do, right? Our behavior. So he says, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And the Greek term for conduct means to exercise your citizenship. Right? So what is Paul saying here? Exercise your citizenship. Well, they had such pride in being Roman citizens, right? Because it has such great value. So Paul is saying there's a greater value that you are a citizen of heaven. There's a greater value knowing that you are a citizen of heaven. And because you're a citizen of heaven, you should not lose faith or hope. Because you're a citizen of heaven, you should act like it. Check yourself before you break yourself. Act like you're a citizen of heaven. Act like you you have value for being a Christian. You know, people don't have that value of Christianity these days. It's amazing. We ought to be proud. We ought to know that we are the light in the midst of darkness, that we are the children of God, and we should be proud to be citizens of heaven. We should be proud to be children of God. And so Paul has to remind them. Why? Because... He tells them, be of the same mind. Be like-minded. Why? Because they have some differences in between them. And so no matter what differences they may have had, Paul is telling them, you're all citizens of heaven. What's the problem? There is a greater cause. There's something greater that, 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 that binds them, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's telling them, Forget about your differences. You know, we're different here. And and it's beautiful because this church is multicultural. There's so many different cultures and nationalities. And it's beautiful because that's what heaven's going to look like. Amen? But we have some differences. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm losing my hair. You can still love me. Amen to that, right? It doesn't matter. We share the same gospel. We share the same hope. We share the same spirit. We share that we have the same God. And so Paul says, get along. Hallelujah. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. They forgot what they had in common. So don't be overcome with your troubles. Set your mind on the God who walked on water. Don't be overwhelmed by your differences and difficulties. Remember the God that calmed the storm. Let us focus on the God who healed the blind. Let us focus on the God who came to set the captives free. Let us value what he has given unto us. Let us value that he has come to free us. John chapter 16, verse 33. The Bible declares, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Somebody say peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Don't be overwhelmed by your troubles, brothers and sisters. Take heart. What do we take heart in? Well, what Paul declared. I take heart in knowing that my name is written in the book of life. Take heart. Don't be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 3, the Bible says, And if I go and prepare a place for you. For who? For you. For who? For me. And he says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I mean, I don't know how that makes you feel, but I, I just get excited. I get excited in knowing that he's preparing a place for me. Come on, somebody. For me. For me. Who am I? And he says that he's coming back. And he says that where he is, that I will also be. That means we're going to be together. I don't know if you thought about heaven, or the beautiful and wonders of heaven, and, and just what is expecting us there. Have you thought about the streets of gold? Have you thought about the, the, the doors with pearls? Have you thought about the, the rivers of crystal? Have you thought about the mansions he said he's going to prepare for us? Have you thought about those things? I have. But what I think about most is what will I do when he reads my name in the Lamb's book of life? How will I react? I, I, maybe you might go straight to your mansion, or maybe you go uh, a tour seeing. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and embrace my Jesus. I can't wait to get there because I'm going to go embrace my Jesus. That is what I intend to do, praise God. But it is so exciting to know that there is a place where we can rejoice and be with the Lord. And you know what? I, I think about the lyrics of that song because, yes, he says, in this world, you will. You're going to. You will have trouble. And I think about the song, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I consider that maybe your marriage is in trouble, but your name is written in the book of life. Maybe your job is in jeopardy, but your name is written in the book of life. Maybe your health is shaky, but don't forget that your name is written in the book of life. So in life, 
my life may seem hopeless at times, but the Apostle Paul reminds us, stand firm. Tell somebody, stand firm. You know, church, when we stand firm, our focus becomes clear. When we stand firm, our focus becomes clear because we're standing firm in what? In the Lord. And so, the Apostle Paul declares in verse 4, do not be anxious about anything. And this is very important. Do not be anxious about anything. <clears throat> and then he gives them instructions. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Okay? Your behavior would, would be such that everyone would see that you believe God. And that you believe that he's coming soon. The word describes the heart of a person who has let God fight his battles. The word describes a person who has let his anxiety and fear uh, uh, be placed in the hands of God and let him take it and let him lift you up. The Lord is near. And not just because of the advent, not just because he's coming soon. Yes, we await his coming. We await God's coming soon, but yet he is near because guess what? He is near to our trouble. He's attentive to our needs. He knows what we're going through. He knows my suffering. He knows that I need a job. He knows that I couldn't pay the rent. He knows that my son is sick. He knows these things, and that's why the Lord is near is a word of encouragement. The Lord is near. But yet, even though he's attentive to all our needs, isn't it awesome to know that he's coming soon? And so no matter what we go through in the flesh, we know that there's coming a day, that there will be no more tears, that this flesh will not suffer any longer from any cancer and suffer any longer for a cold, a flu, or coronavirus. It will not suffer any longer from all these things. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that the day is coming when the Lord says, come into the presence of your Lord, in the joy of your Lord, because you have been faithful. The Lord is near, church. The Lord is near. He's near you in troubled times. He's near you in the midst of suffering. He is near to us. And Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, the Bible says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is with us. Psalms 46, 1, the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. I'm going to repeat that. Ever-present help. When you're in trouble, what you have to remember, when I'm in trouble, what I have to remember is that he's present. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Hallelujah. Praise God. So because the Lord is near, we should set our lives and our thoughts. Come on, people. Think our thoughts need to be on who? On God. It needs to be on God and not our problems. So it does not imply a lack of concern. Now, does it mean that Christians should be careless? That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, it means that believers should not be fearful, paranoid, uneasy about anything we go through. And if you tell me that there's not paranoia going on today, then I say, let's look at the news. We need to be cautious, yes. 
but there is a sense of anxiety moving through the country. There is a sense of paranoia moving through the country. And we are Christians, believers, who know that we can trust in God. Our faith is on He who is our healer. So we need to have a focus on heaven and not earthly matters. Amen? Because this will pass. But my word says the Lord will not pass. Now, let me give you an illustration about being anxious for nothing. Now, Bible knowledge is important, yes? Amen. I got one yes. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Bible knowledge is important so you can imagine or you can understand the quiet pleasure of a pastor as he walked into a church in his first Sunday of working. And he took a tour of the church and he saw every classroom with children seemed very busy at work learning Bible stories. That was his quiet pleasure. And in one classroom, the teacher was so excited that she introduced him to all the children. And she said, Pastor, this Sunday morning, we're studying Joshua. That's wonderful, said the pastor. Let's have a pop quiz. Who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Uh, little Johnny, a boy who was known to be a bit rambunctious, he uh, shyly rose his hand and he offered, Pastor, I didn't do it. <clears throat> the pastor chuckled. <laughs> he said, no, really. Who knocked down the walls of Jericho? The teacher, a bit unnerved, said, Pastor, little Johnny's a good boy. If he said he didn't do it, I believe he didn't do it. <clears throat> the pastor flustered, went to the Sunday school director, and he told him the story. He told him what had happened and how he felt. So the Sunday school director said, Pastor, I hear you. We've had problems with little Johnny in the past. But I, I, I tell you what, let me have a word with him. But to be honest with you, I really don't think that Johnny knocked down any walls. You know, that same day, the pastor had his very first deacon meeting. He met with all the deacons that afternoon, <clears throat> and he related the story to, to everyone expressing his concern that a child, a Sunday school director, a teacher, did not know who knocked down the walls of Jericho. Expressing his concern brought silence to the room for a moment. It was an awkward type of silence. Then finally, one of the older deacons stroked his chin and said, Pastor, I tell you what. I move that we take the funds from the general fund and we use it to pay for the walls. But to tell you the truth, I really don't think Johnny did it. You can imagine the frustration of the pastor. You know, somewhere along the lines, these folks were missing their Bible knowledge. 
And one of the most important truths found in the Bible, how to be anxious about nothing. Praise the Lord. Now, we know that we don't need to be anxious because we have somewhere to go and someone to go to. The reason why we should not be anxious is because we have direct access to God. The reason we don't need to be anxious is we have something called prayer. The need we don't have to be anxious is because God says, come to me, all of you who are heavy burdened. Come to me when your mind is focused on your problems. Come to me when your eyes are set on your issues. Come to me, says the Lord. And you know what? The Philippians had problems. They were going through the fire. And maybe this was stealing their joy. But Paul is telling them, you don't have to lose your joy. He said, be joyful at all times. He says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because they had the formula. The answer is in verse 6. The answer is to bring forth before the Lord in prayer and petition with supplication all those things that get you anxious. Bring it before the Lord. That is the answer. That is the answer to our problems. God gave us the formula. It's in his word. Do we follow it? You know, it is sad that today there are a lot of churches who took out prayer services and prayer gatherings and prayer meetings because they don't deem it to be important anymore. And yet in those circumstances, they're wondering and wondering why things go wrong. Why, why don't I know what to do? Well, because our minds and our focus is not clear in the one who gave us the solution. Our minds need to be set on God. The verse says to bring it before the Lord. And, he's, and it says, with thanksgiving. So I might not see it yet, but I'm giving God thanks in advance. So what I'm saying is, Lord, I believe you. I'm still in my mess. I'm still in my desert. I'm still in my situation. I'm still in my troubled times. But Lord, I'm declaring things that are not as if they were because I believe and trust in you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you because you're going to pay that mortgage. Thank you because you're going to heal me, Lord. Thank you because I'm going to get that promotion. Thank you, Lord, because you're going to do it on my behalf. Now, it's amazing that we have the attitude to tell everybody our business. We tell people on Facebook. We tell people on Instagram. We tell so-and-so and so-and-not. We tell everybody, but we don't come to God and tell them our problems. Ain't that the truth? And God is saying, come to me. Come to me. He has the answer. He has the solution. He can do it, but we go to everyone who can't. You know, um, there's, there's lyrics of a song that kind of describe Philippians 4, 6 beautifully. And the lyrics go like this. It is a lyrics by Tony Wood and Kevin Stokes. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. So what Paul is not, Paul is not saying, listen, Philippians, God is going to take care of all your problems. That's not what he's saying. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem is you. Do you know what the circumstances in our lives are to do? To mature us in Christ. 
So Paul is not saying he's going to change all your circumstances. Paul is saying he's going to change you. He's going to change me. Praise the Lord. Now, knowing that God is near, you know, that, that gets me excited and, and it helps me to focus on what I need to do. Because if I declare that I am a believer, if I declare that I believe the Bible, if I declare that I'm saved and I'm Holy Ghost filled and sanctified, if I, if I say that my name is written in the book of life, then I have to live it. I got to practice what I preach. Because if I practice what I preach, people will come to Christ. But if I say I believe in Jesus, yet I'm running around like a chicken without a head, they're not going to want that Jesus. They're not going to want nothing to do with me or the gospel or my faith. But Paul declares a practical way to practice what you preach. You know, he says all these things that are good. He says meditate on this. He says do these things. On these things you should meditate on. So it speaks of the essential place of what? Of the renewal of the mind, as it declares in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When we came to Christ, we stopped thinking the way we used to think before. We stopped doing the things that we used to do before. We were transformed and renewed, amen? And we started to live new lives in Christ. And, and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 speaks of the importance of casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought, every what? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, that's the battlefield. It's the mind. As Christians, we need to be renewed the way we think and where our focus is. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ because what we choose to meditate on matters. Yes. That web page that you visit matters. That person you hang out with matters. What comes into our mind and stays there matters. What we meditate on matters. It matters. It is a battlefield. And Paul describes a practical way to bring every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. And he says, remember what I told you in chapter 3. To follow me as I follow Christ. To live as I live. Because Paul showed that he went through hell and high water, but his focus was unwavered. He did not leave Christ. And so now he tells them, do these things. Meditate on these things. And let me give you another illustration. <clears throat> you probably all know who Lee Strobel is. If not, um, think about the case for Christ. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Case for Christ, but Lee Strobel, that's his story. And uh, Lee Strobel was a, an, a reporter for Chicago Tribune. And he had no intent of getting caught up in faith. He was a hard-nosed investigative reporter who did not believe in God. And so his editors gave him an assignment. <clears throat> the assignment was to find an impoverished, inner city family in the weeks leading up to Christmas and report on that. So Lee Strobel came across the Delgado family. There was 60-year-old Perfecta Delgado 
and her two granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny. And this family had been burnt out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-room apartment. And you know what? Strobel recounts that when he walked into the apartment, he remembered seeing that they had no furniture. They had no rugs. There was nothing on the walls. All they had was a kitchen table and a handful of rice. You know, Lydia, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny, they had a short sleeve dress each and a thin gray sweater that they shared between them. That's all they had. And every day as they took their trek, their journey to school in the harsh winter, in the biting cold, that half a mile they took, Lydia would wear that sweater for the first part of the journey. And then she would hand it over to her shivering sister for the rest of the way. Lee Strobel thought about their condition and their circumstances. And he could not stop wondering how is it that this family who has such little could have such great joy. They, said they have such great joy under those circumstances. You know, Lee had finished his assignment. And he wrote about the family. And he wrote about their condition and how completely they had confidence in Jesus Christ. He took other assignments after that. But he could never forget how this family were joyful in the midst of their circumstances. And he thought about, <coughs> sorry, he thought about the irony of the situation. And he wrestled with it. He wrestled with it. How can they smile? How can they be joyful? And it was not a, a, a joy that would laugh at every joke. It was a joy that gave peace and hope. It was a true joy. So he considered those things, and he, he wrestled with the irony of the situation. Here was a family who had nothing but faith in Christ, and they were joyful. And here he was, someone who did not lack any material thing, lacked faith, but his heart was as empty and barren as their apartment. You know, Lee Strobel found an excuse to visit that home again when Christmas was arriving. When he entered through those doors, he was amazed. He was amazed at what he saw. Because the people who read his article had responded with donations. The people who read his article gave them many things. And so as he entered into the apartment, he noticed that they had furniture, new furniture. They had new appliances. They had rugs. They had food on the table. The girls had warm clothing. And they even had cash donations. But that's not what amazed him the most. What he saw next amazed him the most. He saw Perfecta and her two granddaughters wrapping up gifts to give away. Why? Why, he asked, 
The grandmother answered, we have much. This is great, pointing to the gift, she said. This is awesome, but we did nothing to deserve this. This is a gift from God. She said, it is not fair that we will have so much and our neighbors so little. And that's why we're giving some gifts away. You know, those words cut to the deepest part of the journalist's heart. And she said, this is not the greatest gift. The grandmother said, the greatest gift we celebrate tomorrow, that is Jesus. That experience, it conflicted the journalist in such a way that he kept investigating and finding out who is this Jesus that they served. Who is this person? Who is this God that they believed in so much that when they were poor and, and with nothing, they believed in him. And then when they, they were blessed with donations, they wanted to give away. Who is this Jesus? And Lee finally gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he's an author of many Christian books. And many people have come to the gospel and come to the kingdom of God because of his experience. So let us not just tell people that God is good. Let's show them that God is good. Let us believe it and let us prove it by our acts and practice what we preach.